Okay, as promised, we're back for another week of uh, AmeriCorps alumni engagement with AmeriCorps Connections. Um, I've wrangled, I keep saying I've wrangled in another AmeriCorps alum, but trust me, it's not it's not tough to find us. Um, it's like six degrees of separation, seven degrees, I don't know. I don't know why I try to say things when I don't really know what they mean. But anyways, so I'm Nikki Fiacco. I'm the founder of AmeriCorps Connections. And this is a podcast where I interview AmeriCorps alumni. Um, and my my phone is telling me that I have a podcast to record right now. Sorry about that. Um, this is where I record uh, or where I interview AmeriCorps alumni to learn what they're up to now. Um, there's 1.2 million of us across the globe. And, um, you know, I'm just interviewing a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, just scratching the surface. Um, so I'm really excited to be having this conversation with Sam Hutchinson, 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 um, who is a VISTA alumni out of Iowa, um, who is part of Welcome Corps, um, which was a resettlement organization. And I'm going to let him introduce himself in just a moment. But before I do, I just want to give a shout out to Dan Medivere, um, who is an NCCC alumni. And he was one of the first ones to raise his hand and say, Nikki, this podcast could be very cool. Helped me get on all of the uh, all of the platforms like Spotify and Apple Music and all of that stuff. So Dan, thank you so much. And um, apparently I have to get a microphone. So I have a microphone in the mail coming soon through our friends at Amazon. Um, so shout out to Dan Medivere at um, Time or Money. Um, all right, let's get to the core of the podcast, which is talking to AmeriCorps alumni. So Sam, you did AmeriCorps Vista. Did you know what you were signing up for? Did you do it intentionally? <laughs> Tell us all about your story. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks so much, Nikki, for that introduction. Um, it's so nice to be here with you tonight. And I was a big fan of the podcast before we initially talked. Um, and to be on here today is just such an awesome opportunity. Um, to answer your question, no, I had no idea what Welcome Corps was. I had a very unconventional path to America to Welcome Corps and AmeriCorps and just didn't really know what it was in the beginning. Um, I graduated college in May 2020, right when the pandemic hit. And the plan for just that year leading up to that was for me to go teach English in Colombia through the Peace Corps. Uh, I had always been really focused on cultures and languages and just hearing what people who were different than me were about. Um, I've got this like really deep desire just to listen to folks and learn the little things about them that make them who they are. And I thought that Columbia would be that spot where I would do a lot of listening, but um, COVID said otherwise. So I remember just kind of thinking about, well, if I'm going to stay in the borders of America, what do I want to do? Um, and the answer that I came up with was I want to work with displaced people. You know, if there's folks that are coming here and they're wanting to see what America is like and build their lives again in this country, then I'd, I'd love to be a part of that if I'm if I'm able to. So I literally went on AmeriCorps.gov. Someone had suggested it to me um, in a tough job market. They said, hey, this is a great way to get it started out in the nonprofit sector. Um, see what it's about. So I went on AmeriCorps.gov. I typed in refugees in the search bar and I applied to every job they had. Wow. And that's a, like such a good point. And, you know, I'll take this as like a, a little recruitment moment that you can do that. Uh, like, I didn't even know when I was, when I applied for AmeriCorps, 
I don't even know how I applied. We won't even go there. But that's a really good point that if there's a topic or something that you're in, interested in, just type in a keyword and see what pops up. And so you applied for every single one. That means that you were like open to travel. Definitely. Yeah. So I'm originally from Charleston, South Carolina. I went to the College of Charleston, um, got a bachelor's of arts and political science. Um, but if you ask me, I just went to college to learn about the world. Um, I took all, I took as many international politics classes as I possibly could. <laughs> Um, did you and, feel like, did you feel like those courses, sorry, this is how I interview. I interrupt people. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> did you it. feel like through it. those courses that like you really were being set up, like you were being set up to learn more about the world or a hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, yeah. I, you know, I still have so much admiration and respect for my professors. Um, they taught me so much about the world and it's, it's amazing how the most random tidbits of knowledge will pop up into your life. And, um, what I've found working with refugees is that even if you know some of a language that someone speaks, there's instantly this bond between the two of you. Because if you think about them coming to the country, you know, they might not have mastered English yet, or they might still be learning and, and you may not have mastered Swahili or have even started learning Swahili, but if you know a couple of phrases, then there's instantly this bond that really creates a, a beautiful relationship, I would say. Yeah, um, I think before your podcast is, be the I think the podcast before yours that's going to be published is um, one with um, Sana, um, Sana Shake, and she talks about coming to the country um, and not knowing the language when she was, I think like five or six or something. And I mean, it's a reality. And she was an AmeriCorps member. She did AmeriCorps. It goes a long way. So, and, and I also think that food has a big, a big, mm. it's, it's a great way to get to know somebody. I, I remember when, so fast forward to when I did get an AmeriCorps position, um, I've got a, an AmeriCorps VISTA position with Lutheran Services in Iowa. It's based out of Des Moines, Iowa. I still currently live in Des Moines. I've been here for three years. I love the city. I love the community. Um, I love the people. Um, if you ask me why I stayed, I'd probably say the people. Um, the people out here are just welcoming. They're nice. Um, and they're not just nice to me. They're nice to refugees as well. Um, but when I first got here, in Des Moines. I remember my brother and I drove up in January. There was snow all across what would have been a cornfield all throughout the Midwest. It's about a 22-hour drive and and we get to our hotel and it's quite late and we're like, okay, let's eat whatever we see. And there was this um, Mexican restaurant called El Fagón next door and I mean stove in, in Spanish. And um, we walk in and we sit down next to this this booth and I see this quote by longtime workers' rights advocate Cesar Chavez. Um, and it says, basically in summary, you know, the best way to get to know someone is to go over to their house, sit down at their table and eat their food. Um, and so I find myself and I know that my colleagues also find themselves in situations where clients are sharing their food. Um, or sharing tea with us or cookies or something from their culture. And to them, it means so much because it's what they're able to bring from their culture back home to here. And the fact that we even sit down and let them have that moment and have that moment with them. I mean, I'm just grateful to be a part of it. That's so, that's so true. And it's so impactful that like, I was just having a conversation with somebody this, uh, this afternoon about how food is beyond just, um, 
the nourishment of the food. It's everything that goes into the food. Um, I'm Italian. So I remember those, those long afternoons at my grandmother's house where the pot of, of gravy, you know, it was like 11 o'clock in the morning and it was bubbling. It was bubbling over the side. And I just was like, can I just have one bite? Can I just have one taste? And we would have to go and she made handmade pasta and we would lay it out on the bed um, on a sheet and she would let it, you know, do whatever it did. But I would just remember as a kid, I would like, it was like two to lay down, one for me to eat, two to, me to lay down, one for me to eat. Um, so there was so much more to the food than just eating that pasta with, you know, my, my, my family. There was, there was that whole uh, just intention that goes behind it. So I love that you brought that up. It's crazy. That's kind of been a theme for me today. So maybe I need to go get a good dinner after this. Interview. Yeah. <laughs> so I got some Italian sausage in my fridge. I think that's going to be what's in store for me. <laughs> Totally, totally. So you you were you were drawn to work with refugees, um, and you found a program. And so during your service year, what type of work did you? What type of service did you do as a Vista member? Yeah. So as a Vista member, the focus was capacity building. Building. It wasn't so much direct service. I didn't really know that getting into it. Um, as you might have guessed, my AmeriCorps experience was kind of just a shot in the dark. Um, but I started off doing a lot of kind of the admin stuff. Um, I was focused on English citizenship and employment um, for folks that had been here for a little bit longer in the country, but not no one really passed five years. And so I helped out a lot with citizenship preparation and tests, um, but I also did a lot of work with other organizations. Um, on paper, I suppose my Vista experiences with Lutheran Services Iowa, but I mentioned the Iowa Welcome Corps and the other Vista members that were working at different refugee resettlement agencies in Des Moines. And, and I got to know them all very well and work with them on community-wide projects. I think my favorite experience was when we were planning for a celebration called the World Refugee Day. Um, every year, the, the Refugee Alliance of Central Iowa puts on World Refugee Day celebration in Des Moines. Um, Ever since my AmeriCorps experience, I've been involved. Um, my role has kind of always been the soccer tournament. Um, this year, we had a giant soccer tournament with 144 players. There's a $1,000 cash prize, 600 for second place, and all 140 of those players got free water bottles, and some of them got free cleats, uh, socks, and shin guards. So it was nice to put, not only get the game going and see a couple of matches, but to put equity in action and allow folks to be able to play the game in Des Moines. Um, but anyways, during my AmeriCorps experience, we did this really profound storytelling coaching mm -hmm. um, it, where a company out of New England called Telenact, um, they trained us virtually on how to basically be a coach for someone telling their story. And then we, you know, there's a, an application process where five individuals were chosen from refugee backgrounds, and we were all paired to coach this individual on telling their uh, story of migration. And then it was presented on World Refugee Day. 
Oh, I thought you were going to go into like some of the stories. I was so number one, you got me yeah. in soccer because we are like a soccer family. Um, yeah. That sounds amazing. Putting together a massive tournament, but um, pulling together. So how, like, so did you pull together stories and was it kind of Ted talk at like, how did they, how did, yeah. what was the venue? So it was prevent, it was presented virtually. Um, oh. Each person had their turn um just being conscious of still the lingering pandemic that was going on mm-hmm. um I was paired with a, a woman from Ethiopia um she's now like a really good slam poet um and really like, goes to conferences and and has like wins awards her name's Yabsira Yabsira Tekle if you guys want to check her out I'll give her the shout out on this she's she's pretty incredible um we'll make sure we um link to her in the show notes Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, it, it was just a good experience to be able to have that kind of intimate relationship with somebody and um, and to learn how to coach somebody on something so, you know, intangible. Yeah. Storytelling, that's something that um, with my nine to fiver that I'm in right now, um, that's just something that we're grappling with. We're like, we need stories and um you there's a technique to telling the story like that's kind of what I feel like this podcast is about like tell your story about your AmeriCorps year and then let's get to what you're doing now and let's tell that story as well but you know we've in so many ways I feel like we don't sit down just like you were saying have the meal have the conversation and still tell stories anymore we're just too you know things are too uh, go 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 um so that's that's so great that you had that experience, especially at such a young age, like right after high school, right after college, um, and really, you know, kind of having the time for it, I guess, a little bit. The pandemic kind of gave us some yeah. time to like think about stuff. No, absolutely. I mean, I was just so ready for the world. I just, I wanted to be out and about, and service has always been something that was very important to me. Um, my, my mom works in corporate philanthropy. Um, you know, we come from a faith background. Um, there's so many different elements of my childhood that have, you know, prompted me to fulfill a life of purpose. Um, and I just, I just kind of always knew that I wanted to be able to pay my bills, but I also really needed to do something impactful. And, and I'm so thankful for AmeriCorps to be able to lead me into this, this life that I'm now living that's so cool. I recently listened to a podcast um, where the Surgeon General of the United States has um, um, what is uh, an alert, I guess, of um, loneliness is like a, a thing that is just rampant in our culture right now. And he, you know, it's it's a great interview, and I'm not going to do it justice at all. But one of the remedies that he says to um, loneliness is surface, and I was like, ah. Can I call him up and be like, do you know about this program that like creates connection? Like what yeah. you're trying, you know, I mean, by the very nature of AmeriCorps, it creates connection to communities and create it creates connections to others. Um, and so I, I just feel like that experience that we all had during a service year um has put us in a position where service is something that's tangible and we can find, right? Like. I didn't even know volunteering was an industry until my service year. And I didn't know that coaching soccer as a parent was volunteering. I just thought it was like, that's what you do as a mom, you know, but there were 10 other moms sitting on the sidelines while I was, you know, coaching. 
No, and that's that's so funny that you mentioned that because I definitely think that AmeriCorps had this really profound impact on me in terms of like volunteering in the community outside of your nine nine to five or I found myself volunteering at a nonprofit movie theater now. Um, oh, and cool. um shout out the varsity. Um sometimes I'll work the concession stands, sometimes I'll help out in the theater, but it just you look at life so differently you know you're so eager to serve that if there's these you you just kind of unintentionally find these service opportunities and because you are an americorps alum you end up doing them <laughs> yeah totally and then you're like can i put this on my timesheet you know like wait what <laughs> totally so um so did you you served with vista um with that organization for one year and then uh, was it one year service mm -hmm. yep i did um the year at lutheran services iowa and then um at that point in my life i knew that i, I liked des moines i knew that i liked the sector that i had kind of stumbled into and um, i got a job with catholic charities of des moines which where i still currently work um, at the time i was managing their donation center um, and warehouse uh, working with volunteers and donors mm -hmm. um, that was during the Afghan evacuation um, oh during, wow yeah during that year we resettled um, more than 300 Afghans which was like a 200 percent increase from yeah. the amount of people we resettled last the last year um, what so can you just tell us a day in a life because my experience yeah. with the pandemic, like I were, I was in Governor Hogan's office in Maryland as the executive director for their commission. And so I was dealing with a lot of people who wanted to volunteer, a lot of people that had PPE and they wanted to donate it. So, you know, we were coordinating be between like counties and everything. So like, I kind of get this whole like moving people and also moving things, but yeah. like, what was a day in a life of, and it probably was never the same, but like, Okay, a week in the life, but a very short <laughs> synopsis right. of that week. What was that like? Certainly, yeah. So um, it would probably help to give you the background on what it's supposed to, what it was, this, what resettlement was supposed to look like. Um, it's a chaotic field. It is kind of a little tri trial by fire. Um, but when you have a team full of people that care about the cause and um, leadership that supports you, no task is big enough to handle. Um, so I did the, the job managing donation centers, and then I did a little bit of me medical case management. Um, and so now I actually oversee the entire um, resettlement program at Catholic Charities. Um, what is supposed to happen is our headquarters, um, so, so to speak, the nonprofit that we contract with to be able to receive refugees who've been granted asylum, they will send us what's called a verification and we will verify the case we'll to be able we'll be able to take a look at it see if they've got family in des moines see what languages they speak you know see where they're coming from medical issues and then we'll send it back and then they'll book the travel for us um, and then we'll get it notified on our on our calendars um, and we're able to say hey this year we'd like to resettle 250 individuals which is what we're currently doing. Um, during the Afghan evacuation, there was no, there was really no verification. There was no wow. 
there was not a lot of heads up. I mean, we were, we were getting, we went from getting maybe 30 clients a month to getting 30 clients a week. We would look at our calendars and be like, Oh, got a family of eight coming in tonight at nine 30. Um, you know, and a, a, a single guy coming tomorrow morning too. It was just constant. Like you could tell that the, the military bases just really wanted to get these folks into their new communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, as you can imagine, there's not enough affordable housing for 300 Afghans to instantly move into in any city, no matter how yeah. spacious it may be. Um, so they, they were living at hotels for, you know, weeks and sometimes, sometimes a month. Um, and we were just working our hardest to be able to find anything that was available. Um, and it really prompted this conversation at the state level of, you know, how do we create affordable housing in Iowa? And how do we do so that it's not just tailored to one population and that mm-hmm. it encompasses all of the populations that we serve? Um, so we work really closely with some public agencies now to be able to create more um, affordable housing solutions. Isn't that amazing? Just like thinking about your AmeriCorps year and you're like, I want to work with refugees. And so you did that. And then you went into this thing where you're like, and I think one of the things that uh, like we're, we're all making it up as we go along. Right. Like I I can't remember who I was talking to somebody. Oh, I think somebody else that was like, just graduated college and they were like, I'm just really curious how people are like, in their profession and they're, they're confident and they know what they're doing. I'm like, honey, we, we never know what we're doing. Like we just no. never know what we're doing. We're all just trying. But I no. think one of the things that AmeriCorps does because it can be so piecemeal sometimes is it creates this resilience. It just, and I know it's silly, but the, the slogan is getting things done. And I feel like that's what you do as an AmeriCorps member. And then that's what you take with you into your next job where, you know, it can be like, okay, okay, okay. And then all of a sudden you have this, this chaos happening and it's like, well, I'm going to figure out how to get this done because there's people that need me to do this, you know? Um, So it's amazing to think about a very quick journey of, I mean, 2020, 2020 was only three years ago. Like (laughs) I keep forgetting that it was three years ago. It seemed like it was 10 years ago. But so you were finishing up your AmeriCorps year and now you are where you are and you had to deal with the, I think, what was it in 2022, the Afghan um, evacuation? Yeah. And then, well, then the Russia-Ukraine war started. Um, So it was a very interesting time to be working in refugee resettlement. You know, Biden had come into office. He had increased the presidential determination numbers. So he'd increased the number of refugees that were going to be allowed into the U.S. annually. Um, it's currently set at 125,000. Um, and when he increases his number, a sites like mine get to increase our numbers. Um, so it was just this expanding field where there were people that needed to go somewhere and they just ended up coming to us. Um, and so we our, our program now, like I'm really happy with where Catholic Charities is at. We've been to We've really, really been able to expand from, you know, the Ukrainian and Afghan humanitarian crises. Um, And we've been able to really look at what we did back then and think, hey, you know, we got through it, but how could we be better? Mm -hmm. And so we're continuing to find ways to be able to not just serve more clients, but to serve folks better. Better. Um, How do we engage volunteers more effectively? What types of donations do we need to be asking for? 
what are the services that are not being provided in the in the community? You know, is is there multilingual drivers ed? Is that a possibility? Mm -hmm. You know, wh where are folks being housed right now? Are those still accept acceptable solutions? Um, you know, how can we be more culturally appropriate in our service? And and asking those questions are really one of my favorite parts of, those jo of my job now is because you get to have these very meaningful conversations on how to welcome someone better. And I just think that is some of the most intimate, you know, line of work that you can be in. So what are some of the things, and, and you're so right, like when we can take a beat and say, how can we, I, in all of my leadership roles, it's always been about like not necessarily expanding, but actually contracting to do the work better, right? Yes. Like we're yes. not about like reaching more people unless our services can render a better quality experience to those folks. Right. So and how can we be better at it? And in my line of work, you know, if you serve someone poorly, it does, you cannot serve people. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot on the line, you know, and, and people remember their resettlement experience. It's a very, it's a very touchy time for them. They're adjusting to so much in such a short period of time that you really have to remember that this is going to have a lasting impact on them and you want it to be a good one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how did your, if, if it did, um, did, well, I guess I can frame the question better. Did your AmeriCorps service year prepare you to, um, tackle some of the things that you have to address in, in your current role? Yeah, certainly. I, I'd say that my AmeriCorps experience, what it, what it taught me the most was just how people work within organizations. That mm. was something that I just didn't have a lot of experience of out of the college context. And, I, I speak about that capacity building for Vista. For me, it was fantastic because I was able to take a step back and just see how things worked based on just jumping in and doing it because I got my chance to do the direct service, you know, afterwards. And I was so happy to know what was wrong and what was right first. And some things I learned through mistakes as most people do. Um, but it was just so nice to be able to see the full picture before really jumping into it. Yeah. And, you know, take it, it's funny because um, we're so action oriented that like taking the time to build out the systems or even think like I've told people I've like those AmeriCorps members who maybe were with me when I was with Volunteer Maryland, and I was a director. And I was like, if you're thinking about AmeriCorps, you're serving because like even just thinking about your project or how you're going to tackle it, it that is part, like you have to step back. We, you know, our, our do, 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 we have to like think about like, what's the best way of tackling this and how could I, you know, so that capacity building, which is like a lot of stepping back and looking at the systems, what's working um, as opposed to just jumping into the Right. Let's call so-and-so and let's get them on board, right? But but what's the onboarding process and how are we going to introduce them to the clients and how are we going to keep their, you know, all of that needs to be, and that I'm speaking from somebody that doesn't do any of that. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I am the worst. <laughs> I completely agree with you though, because it's, there are systems in place, but they just may not be utilized in the way that, that, you know, works for the constituents, for the individuals receiving those services best. 
Um, working with a lot of public agencies, those are conversations that I have a lot, you know, with Medicaid and food stamps and um, educating people on what what is working with refugees like, you know, what are some changes that you would think about making in order to make this process better? I'm just a big advocate of, you know, learning what the what the systems are in place first before you try and start a new one. I will say that systems are not built for everybody. And I guess that's what I would say. And, you know, I was in constituent services for like eight months in here in Maryland for the state for, um, you know, Governor Hogan. And it was, it was, it was insane. We, we're going to need a, a whole different episode. Podcast, yeah. yeah we're, we're, you and I are going to have to talk offline about that. Yeah. Well, you know what? Like one of the things that I am trying to do with this podcast too is I want to continue with the episodes. Of course, I've been doing it for almost a year now. It's so crazy and so exciting. But I also want, thank you. I also want, um, I want us to put together like and curate some resources. So if somebody yeah. is interested in this, I can have, you know, folks that I have interviewed and have an interest and have assets to provide people to either help their nonprofit or help their community or help their people or whatever. So we definitely will touch base on that. Um, yeah, let's do it for sure. Absolutely. I love that. Um, all right. So you've kind of already talked about what you're doing now. So you are at Catholic Charities right now. Yep. We um we actually are having our centennial 100 year anniversary this year. It's kind of a big year for the agency and, and those that have been involved in the past 100 years. Um, yeah, so I, I'm the Refugee Services Program Manager. Um, so that, that means that I oversee both the direct resettlement services and then the post resettlements. And what that, what that difference is, is the direct resettlements are when folks are flying in from refugee camps into the Des Moines airport or wherever they're going or picking them up. I actually have to go pick up a Somalian family here in an hour. Um, we ironically have an arrival tonight, um, but they come to us, we pick them up at the airport and then we serve them for a period of time through intensive case management. The post resettlement is meant for those folks that have been in the States for longer. And let's say maybe like they had a kid that was diagnosed with diabetes and they just need some help, you know, navigating the medical system or, you know, they lost a family member, which is also an income provider. Um, it, it's for when situations occur. Um, we're a big fan of don't gotcha. turn anybody away. So that's kind of um, the, the faith-based faith ideals embedded in our organization. So I've worked, I, I remember working with Catholic Charities. I believe it was when I was with Volunteer Maryland, which is a state and national program right. um, out in Maryland. And we, the organization places AmeriCorps members across the state to do um, capacity building. And I think that, I think that, um, I think they were a partner of ours, but for the folks that don't know what Catholic Charities does, could you give just a brief overview? Cause yeah. they are national or are they international? So there's, there's Catholic Charities USA, which is a little bit more overarching. Um, but then we are Catholic Charities of Des Moines. So we operate within the Diocese of Des Moines um, in Iowa. And we are separate from, let's say, Catholic Charities of Rochester, Minnesota. Okay. Um, there were two completely different 501c3s. Um, however, we doing refugee resettlement are a part of a broader network of other Catholic charities that do refugee resettlement. We're just not the same agency. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. At our at Catholic Charities of Des Moines, you know, we have five programs. I manage the refugee services one. 
Um, our other programs are the food pantry, emergency family shelters to help in eliminate, eliminate um, homelessness and temporary housing. Um, we have a domestic violence shelter in Council Bluffs. Um, counseling, we have um, low-income counseling. And then I'm always forgetting one more. Well, actually, I don't think I am. I think those are all of our programs. <laughs> That's amazing. You're serving. So how many, so, well, you said that you were serving about 300 folks. Um, on average, when you're not having a surge, which maybe that's now the norm, <laughs> how many individual, like how many people do you serve or families, or I don't know how you do your numbers? Yeah. So, um, with both resettlement and post resettlement combined, I'd say we're, we're somewhere between 300 and 400 individuals every year. Um, wow. yeah. And, and a lot of them are large families, to be honest, there's a lot of kids included in that. Um, we certainly get a lot of like single adult um, cases, as we would say, or individuals that that come to us um, looking for help. But um, like I said, with the folks from Afghanistan, I mean, the average family, the average family size for someone from Afghanistan was like seven or eight. Um, so there's a lot of kiddos in there. And we do yeah. like school enrollment, daycare registration. I mean, pretty much everything you would think of that you would need to build something build a new life. Um, we, we assist them with that. Well, and I will just say, um, those things are hard to navigate. I remember the first time um, when my kids were young and May came around and I was like, Oh, why don't you do a summer camp? And they were like, everything's booked up. You have to book it by February. I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. we're not abnormal. We're set up like a lot of other resettlement agencies in um, America where we have individuals on staff who focus on one specific thing. So we, we have like a housing specialist, we have an education specialist, an employment specialist, um, someone who runs our donation center. And then we have like general case managers that will manage the case. But um, without that type of setup, I mean, you know, can you imagine trying to, to navigate housing, medical and- no employment i haven't even filed my taxes yet like i still like i'm like oh i need to i need to get around to that you know like and um wow so there's so much more that we could talk about with this but i want to make sure that we have plenty of time to um highlight like what you're doing now and maybe like speaking to the community of americorps alumni um, whether they're in Des Moines or, you know, yeah. whatever, if they're somewhere else, the Catholic charities are all over the place. These programs are all over the place. Um, what is something that you want to just make sure we touch on? And if there is a call to action, like what would that be? And we'll make sure we put all the links and everything um, in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would just touch on finding purpose within your job. Um, I understand that well, we have done AmeriCorps, um, you know, I was telling my buddy that I was going to be on this podcast and he's like, what's AmeriCorps? I was like, well, let me tell you, um, you know, and, and there's, I just, I just want to emphasize that I think that there's this stigma that the nonprofit sector or anything service oriented is just not a feasible career. And I, and I don't, and I don't buy it. Um, I think that, you know, if you advocate for not only the cause that you care about, and you advocate for yourself at the same time, then you will find that life of purpose that you're looking for. Um, I'm still searching for it myself, but I'd say that things are off to a pretty good start. That's great. And it's so true when you can lean into 
when you can identify the things that that get you psyched right like and it doesn't and and i think that there's a big i think that there's an overwhelming pressure on finding your purpose and i, I in one of my episodes with christy heine we talk about like for now the idea of for now so you can find your purpose and your passion for now right and if this is how you want to show up today it doesn't necessarily mean that's what you need to do tomorrow but exactly. you know like linking yourself to that transformational experience of what that looks like is we'll just it's it's the nutrition behind the food that we talked about, right? Like it's it's the intent behind the food. It's the intention behind the work. I've heard that Oprah Winfrey goes into a meeting and she's always, the first thing she says is, what is our intention with this project? Like, what are we intending to do with this meeting? And I, I think I, 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 you know, where we place our attention, we should place our intention in things that we do we need to come at, we should come at, I shouldn't say we should, would, could, could, or whatever, but coming at it with a sense of like um, something that's intrinsic inside of you that moves you, makes it a little bit easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. That intentionality is so important. And if I, if I were to give any kind of last bits of advice to anyone thinking about AmeriCorps, or doing AmeriCorps currently, is just be a sponge. Like soak mm. it all up, you know, every single thing that you do every day that you go to an office, there's a lesson to be learned. Um, and you might not realize it until three years after the fact, but just, you know, be a sponge and soak it all up. I love that. That's a, such great advice. And let me ask you a quick question before we wrap up, but are, yes. is there anybody in your service year that, that really impacted or influenced you that either you're still in contact with, or you're just like, yeah, they, they had such a massive impact. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so Stephanie Morris is the first person to come in mind. Um, she is the director of the Refugee Alliance of Central Iowa, which is an organization that I'm now on the board of. Um, but it's that same organization that I mentioned earlier that helps put on the World Refugee Day mm -hmm. celebration. And Stephanie's become like a dear friend of mine over the years. And I just remember her really taking me under her wing when I was a you know bright youthful americorps vista and didn't know anything about not only americorps refugee services but also as didn't know anything about iowa um <laughs> she really took me you know took me into her own and um i'm just so thankful for her for her advocacy that's awesome there's always somebody that has such an impact in our in our service here um, so the last question I always love to ask because it gives me ideas of what we could possibly do with this community is what do you see for this alumni? You know, I, I mentioned we're 1.2 million strong. Um, you know, some of us aren't around anymore. We're going on 30 years anniversary of AmeriCorps. Vista is even longer than that, right? Like Vista was in the 60s. Um, but what do you see for this cohort? What would you love to see us either regionally, nationally, locally, yeah. anything? Um, well, I mean, the first thing we've already kind of talked about was, I mean, more resource sharing. Um, that was such a big part of my job um, when I was doing Vista was was building resources and sharing them. I think continuing that after the fact would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to see, you know, and I'm not, and I'm, I'm just not really familiar with 
the state of AmeriCorps now, but I know that when I was doing AmeriCorps, I wasn't getting paid basically anything. Um, I'd love to see that increase a little bit, you know, so that people from all different types of backgrounds can consider AmeriCorps. Um, but that resource sharing, I really want to hammer home. I mean, that would be so pivotal to, you know, continuing that legacy. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. Um, that's, again, like I said, that's one of the things, reasons why I want to pull this podcast together. And um, we all have so much to share after our service year. And we've all moved on to certain things that, you know, opportunities and places where we can share the resources. So hopefully I can, I'm in the process of building out some um, resource sharing places. I'm just so slow at technology. I'm just waiting for somebody to swoop in and be like, Nikki, I can help you do this. Um, So I keep, I keep praying, please let this technology angel show up in my life. Um, This has been such a great conversation, Sam. It was, you know, we chatted over a month ago and it's crazy that like life gets insane, but um, you've shared such great wisdom and, you know, you can definitely paint it a picture of your service year. So I really appreciate you and coming on and to the podcast and your time and what you're doing. Um, Is there any, any last tidbits or anything you want to share before we close up hey thank you for for doing this I think that's my last words is I'm so glad that something like this exists you know it's it's not only been fun to listen to other people's stories but it's helped me like internally like process my own AmeriCorps experience just by listening to how others you know felt and experienced their own um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm obviously hooked on the podcast at this point. I can't wait for whatever's next. Um, yeah. So I, I guess thank you so much for having me and, and for doing this. Awesome. Thank you so much. And for everyone that tuned in all the way to the end, thank you so much. And again, like, and subscribe, it actually does things for the algorithms. Um, and I see it on the back end. It's very cool. We're like in 11 countries and, and we have like over 500 downloads and people are interested. And so, um, if you've made it this far, then why not just hit that subscribe button? I don't know how to do all the things that like light up just whatever do that like it on your podcast and we'll be back uh, next week with another conversation with americorps alumni on americorps connections so thanks thanks a lot see ya